Israel and Palestine, two sides that have been in conflict for the last couple of decades. And recently, the situation escalated once again. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the background of this age-old conflict, deeper insights, and what we can draw from that in order to shape our behavior or at least our views on this whole issue. So let's get started. The conflict between Israel and Palestine dates back even before the Second World War. It is a conflict that is drawing much attention not only recently um, and per periodically, but it is kind of a constant matter that is yeah, uh, keeping international relations and discourse on international politics busy. I figured that it is there is kind of a, a, a Mis not in misinformation, but there is an informational gap on the specifics or the history of this uh, age-old conflict. And I think it is very important to pick this one up in order to kind of grasp the bigger picture to all this. And the reason why I think this is a very important or, or interesting topic um, to talk about is uh, that I actually wrote my bachelor thesis back in 2017 um, about the founding of Israel. So I have kind of, um, yeah, a little bit uh, of a background in, in researching um, this particular issue in depth. So I think um, this deep dive will help you to understand the roots of this problem a little bit better and how the whole thing came about. Um, next to that, I'm also going to talk about the current situation, why the timing is kind of suspicious to be, yeah, to be, yeah, to express myself uh, in a very uh, passive and favorable way. Um, the question of how to react and um, how I would assess the current reactions from mainstream media, especially social media, and also finally my stance on this issue, my personal stance or the stance that I need to adopt uh, on this issue. So. The basic narrative, yeah, starting starting off with the historical context, is that when we talk about the Arab-Israel uh, conflict, that we tend to think, okay, well, the Palestinians they were um, living in the lands of um, Palestine, obviously, and after the Ottoman Empire, um, yeah, um, collapsed and and uh, transformed uh, transformed into the um, Turkish Republic. The Jewish community moved there and uh, settled there, and with the creation of the Jewish state, yeah, on this territory, basically, the conflict began, and um, yeah, Palestinians were gradually moved away or pushed away from the region that they were living in, and this is the simplistic view of it. Uh, there's lots of truth to that, and uh, this is the development as it came about. But um, there is uh, there is more to that actually before Israel was found, and the name of my bachelor thesis was "White White World: a Racial Perspective on the Founding of Israel." Kind of controversial, um, yeah, title to be honest. Um, and but I think it captures the idea quite well. 
because back in the day, when the British tried to exert their influence on the Ottoman lands, uh, when they saw that the Ottoman Empire is not going to um, yeah, survive the the turmoil that has been going on there for yeah basically one or two centuries at that point, they started to exert influence on those regions with the First World War. The British and French, they were quickly to move into the Middle East and um, yeah, kind of find allies and install leaders there. So they naturally also moved into um, the territory of Israel or, or Palestine at that time. And they installed um, uh, leaders and um, basically supported them, uh, giving them military advice, but also, um, yeah, uh, political protection. And there was a certain correspondence that happened with the um, some sort of ambassador um, to Palestine uh, back then. And um, this is the so-called uh, Hussein McMahon correspondence and within that correspondence the lands of Palestine were actually granted to or like officially granted by the um, British Empire to the Palestinians but at that time um, and there was the yeah there was the significant influence of the Jews in Great Britain um, who could yeah basically access the British Parliament um, were kind of moving in the same social surroundings. Um, I don't know if they were uh, golfing together or not, but the Jews in Great Britain, uh, the more affluent, the wealthy um, yeah, Jews that also were part of the Zionist movement um, that yeah, basically wanted to uh, push the agenda of moving back to Israel anyways, yeah, for, for many years at that time, uh, they were able to exert their influence on the politicians in the British Empire. And because there was kind of the, the proximity between those two groups, yeah, the, the British uh, members of parliament and um, the Jews that pushed for yeah, the Zionist um, agenda, they had like the more direct way to influence and exert or kind of push through their agenda rather than the Palestinians who were far away. And there was just this one um, diplomat who is sending letters saying, okay, well, we promised um, Palestine to the Palestinians. But the argument of my thesis, uh, my, my, uh, yeah, my paper was basically that there was another factor that played into this whole thing. And I mean, this is something that we can all agree on from a logical or kind of the emotional, social perspective, yeah? kind of the, the feeling. And the argument is that because the Jews are phenotypically closer to the British, they had less of a barrier to kind of um, get the, yeah, how, how can I say it? Um, the positive feedback from the British. So when talking about Palestinians, they are phenotypically and culturally much more different uh, than British people um, compared to, to what uh, Jewish people are to, to British people. You know, they look more alike, they act more like they're, they're more similar, you know, and um, another big factor is that also the Jewish uh, people 
in Great Britain at that time, you know, they were also speaking English. There wasn't uh, yeah, any kind of a language barrier there. So the proximity, the closeness, the similarities really aided the uh, Zionist agenda. It helped them to, in the end, um, gain something that is called the Balfour Declaration. And uh, the Balfour Declaration is um, basically the official document stating that um, there is going to be a uh, an Israeli state in Palestine and with the backing of the British. So the British revised their initial promise to the Palestinians saying that this is going to be an is, um, Israeli territory. So from that point on in 1948, when the state of Israel was established, one day later, I think five or six Arab nations invaded Israel and started the first Arab-Israeli war. And this is also the uh, war of independence from Israel, and they won. Uh, it was it was not um, a very long war, but nonetheless um, uh, they won, even though Israel was just recently established and uh, the first uh, one or two diasporas to, um, and they call it uh, the Aliyahs, to Israel, like the return to the um, to the Holy Land, um, as the Torah promised them, practically mostly from Great Britain, but uh, more so from from Eastern Europe and Germany, they moved to Israel. Uh, Israel established uh, the state one day uh, one day later. The Arab nations attacked Israel. They were able to defend it, obviously uh, due to the support from the United States as well as uh, the European nations, um, the British Empire and Germany, of course, but Germany had different problems at that time, so not much support from there. But in the end, um, they were able to fend off the aggression from, from the Arabs. And this continued in 1956. There was the Suez Crisis um, when, um, yeah, kind of um, Egypt uh, regained control over the... Uh, Sinai uh, Peninsula um, and the Suez Canal, accordingly, which was back in the, um, at that time, yeah, a British uh, private company. So lots of colonialism going on there as well. Um, then, kind of the border with uh, Egypt and Israel was established. Next, we have '67, uh, the Six Day War. Again, Arab nations attack Israel. Israel wins. Then we have the Yom Kippur War, uh, war in '73, uh, and there Israel wins once more again. And from that point on, obviously we then had like the the Lebanon wars, but at that point um, Israel was able to yeah, defend itself quite well. And because of that, it established kind of the right to be in that region. The Arab nations started to view Israel more moderately. They approached uh, the nation more moderately. Um, Egypt at some point recognized Israel. Um, they have been yeah, kind of warmer relations also with uh, Turkey and um, yeah, other, other Arab nations because at some point you just have to acknowledge if you attack a country over and over and again with five, six allies, and you're not able to um, 
get a hold on this country and defeat them, well, then you just have to live with the situation and it's better to get along with your neighbor than to uh, keep banging at that door. In between the Palestinians, you know, there were kind of, um, yeah, the victims because due to settling policies and also um, yeah, attacks and, and uh, military pushes, as we are seeing right now, the Palestinians are pushed back. They are, uh, they need to go into exile. Most of them live in Jordan. And um, yeah, basically the Palestinians are gradually um, yeah, moving away uh, and leaving their lands. And they have to because Israel is is a much stronger opponent. So that is the whole situation. And what we need to get from this is the following. When you have such a strong opponent like Israel, and you know that Israel is backed by the whole of Europe financially and also socially and culturally, as we've seen in the, uh, in my bachelor thesis, but also by the United States, then you'll have to do something about it, right? I mean, the there is kind of a militia, the uh, Palestinian Liberation Army, but there are also militant uh, terrorist organizations like the Hamas. Both of them try to hurt Israel, but this guerrilla warfare is not going to help them in the long run because the opponent they are facing um, is much greater than Israel itself. And you've seen that six, five or six Arab nations, you know, tried several times to, to, um, defeat Israel and regain Palestine for the Palestinians. And nothing like that happened. All the diplomatic efforts that Palestine put into defending themselves were only partially successful. Right now, there's a lot of sympathy and also in the 2021, um, like the last bigger clash between those two sides, the world expressed much sympathy for the Palestinians. But these efforts are just not enough. And at that point, we have to be realistic about what is going to happen to Palestine. And I think uh, Israel is, is well aware about the limited capacity that the Palestinians have militarily. And the Palestinians do not have the vision to play the long game with Israel because otherwise uh, we would see much better institution building, much better education, much better um, diplomacy efforts by the Palestinians at that point. But the only thing that comes around is the hashtag free Palestine, something that has been going on for quite some time now on social media, but also in, um, yeah, in the classic media like uh, television or radio or something like that. So the efforts have been poor. Um, they have, there, there hasn't been any, um, yeah, feasible vision or strategy from the Palestinians and the Israelis know that so they can actually lean back. And I think, um, that these clashes or these, these pushes uh, into uh, Gaza and, uh, the, the West Bank are going to continue periodically. Uh, because in the long run, the Palestinians will not stand uh, their ground there. And the Palestinians basically need to reinvent their strategies because they are trying to do the same thing over and over again, try to defend themselves and it's not working. And there have been little um, efforts 
or little innovative efforts to kind of reverse the situation. So we have um, not only the military uh, inferiority towards Israel here, but also the educational and uh, diplomatic uh, inferiority that the institution building and alliance building is not strong enough for for Palestine. So we also need to take into account, and this is why I brought up the historical context, is that Israel from its founding days was a project of Europe and um, yeah, more so the United States of America. And this has been um, affirmed over and over again. Especially the current president of this, um, yeah, of the United Nations of America has repeatedly actually positioned himself behind Israel and saying, um, there are even old, um, records of him saying, even if we didn't have in Israel, we would need to invent in Israel. And this makes perfect sense from the American stand or the Euro American standpoint, because basically this is yeah, Israel is the biggest military base of the uh, Euro-Americans in the Middle East. That being so, and um, knowing that from this current situation, we need to be realistic about the survival uh, chances of, of Palestine, and that with the current uh, that with, with the current strategy, yeah, and means. Uh, Palestine sooner or later will not be a thing anymore. There will be Palestinians, of course, but Palestine itself um, is about to become a footnote of history, um, at least in the long run. And we need to be realistic about that. So that is one point. And I think going forward, we will see the following development unfold is that Quite soon, Israel will pull back and diplomatic efforts from both sides will try to build up a ceasefire. Um, there will be, yeah, kind of a, um, yeah, um, not, I, I won't say peaceful situation, but there will be, as I said, a ceasefire and, and both sides will uh, kind of recover. Uh, obviously, the Palestinian side as the main victim in this whole thing uh, will need to recover a bit more and, and will need this uh, period of recovery. But in one, two or three years, uh, the next assault will happen. And then we will have a couple of months again, where Israel is going to attack Palestine, then we'll have a ceasefire, a recovery phase. And at that point, you know, I think, uh, you know, where I'm getting at, in the long run, Israel will push all Palestinians away, establish uh, the, uh, the, the, the sovereign Israel as it uh, wants to, just like they did with the Golan Heights. I mean, for those who don't know, the Golan Heights are, um, yeah, kind of um, a mountain, um, mountainous area in the north of Israel and south of uh, Syria. And during the Syrian civil war, and this was a, a demilitarized zone that is very important to know. So United Nations soldiers were ac actually stationed there and it was internationally agreed that nobody is going to touch those, those, um, mountainous, um, regions because they're strategically very important, uh, both for Syria and for Israel. 
And because there were so many clashes and, and border disputes, um, this was a demilitarized zone. And at some point, you know, Israel just invaded um, the Golan Heights because there was uh, yeah, too much turmoil in Syria and they um, occupied or yeah, annexed the Golan Heights. And this is the same is going to happen with Palestine. And I think we need to be, um, uh, yeah, realistic about the approach that, that Israel is, is having here. Um, every couple of years, they will, yeah, try to, to, uh, try to exile more and more Palestinians. But in this particular situation, I think one very interesting thing is the timing of the assault or the, uh, the conflict that has um, erupted here. And that is, if you think back to January of this year, what happened there? If you think back to January this year and look, um, yeah, across the Middle East and, uh, yeah, focus on Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Israel, in short, you will see something that you've rarely seen in the whole history of the Jews, actually. And that uh, being protests, yeah, widespread protests across Tel Aviv. And they were kind of, um, yeah, they were kind of, uh, I wouldn't say aggressive, but very offensive. You know, they were very assertive in what they tried to achieve. There were some reform packages um, pushed or proposed by the prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and uh, he actually wanted to gain more power in parliament and establish a more right-wing um, constellation there in order to push for other reforms as well. And the country was kind of upset with that. Uh, they didn't want this um, you know, autocratic type of leadership. So they went to the streets protesting against uh, Netanyahu. And um, this happened so rarely in Jewish history that it's striking that a couple of months later, a big war is, or the, the, the biggest conflict um, between um, Israel and the Palestinians for, I think, the last 10 or 20 years erupts just like a couple of months after that. And if we look at the demographics of those protests, we will see that a lot of young people protested for a more liberal uh, direction of Israel, which is yeah, opposed to the right-wing approach of uh, Netanyahu. And um, because of that, and what those people uh, were protesting for, even with uh, with rainbow flags and um, yeah, the wish to have like a more democratic, a more inclusive, um, yeah, in general, just a more liberal Israel, um, there was clashing with um, yeah the, the political direction, young people, and just a very strange situation that you did not hear a lot of uh, from uh, in the um, in the media. So then, a couple of months later, right, seven, eight months later, uh, or nine months later, a festival in Israel with young people who you would assume generally have a more liberal orientation or worldview, 
And especially at a festival, if you're going to a rave festival, um, you are very unlikely to be right wing and, um, and then racist and nationalist and whatnot, uh, right? You're just, yeah, you have the tendency to be more liberal if you are visiting a, a techno festival, um, at a young age. This is just the demographics of, of how things work. And, uh, suddenly, the Hamas is killing over 200 people there, uh, capturing some of the, those young people. And it's very interesting because you might assume that if you one of, if you're one of the protesters who went on the streets back in January and now see that your potential friends or maybe even your friends, you know, were slaughtered by the opposing force that you were actually defending back in January because you said we need a peaceful um, yeah, coexistence, it might trigger the hidden or underlying nationalist ideas even of those people. I'm talking very hypothetically, but what I'm saying is not very hypothetical. In short, the timing is a bit too favorable for Israel or for Netanyahu uh, especially, to be a coincidence. I'm not saying that Hamas is controlled by Israel, but I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case, first of all. I'm not saying that this conflict erupted because of um, the protest back in January, and this is a whole distraction movement or kind of a strategy to bring the, yeah, kind of um, um, yeah, dispersed or fragmented uh, Israeli society back together. I'm not saying that it is that way, but the probability is relatively high because the timing is just picture perfect in that situation. It brings a lot of advantages for Israel. And while they are being at it, they're pushing a lot of Palestinians away so they make significant um, territorial advances at that point. So I think uh, the yeah, the recent historical context here is also very um, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's coincidence or not, I'll leave it. I, I leave it up to you. Um, obviously, in those situations, we do not have evidence. Um, how could you? I mean, if that is the truth, then um, the Mossad and obviously the the minister, uh, the, the office of the prime minister, is doing everything they can or are doing everything they can to hide all the evidence. But I'm just saying the timing is a bit suspicious. Yeah, as I said in the beginning. The next point is the question of how to react to all that. And here we have again another very interesting situation. No other conflict in the world and maybe in history was pushed from such an emo emotional standpoint as the Israel-Palestine conflict. And that's really true. I mean, wherever you look, all the footage show um, children... And, uh, yeah, kind of uh, hospitals bombed, um, children crying, mothers with, with uh, their, their bleeding children in their arms. And, yeah, 
also the people fleeing from their homes is very dramatic you know there's a whole dramatic build up wherever you look and this is all across media um what you can see there and that is also a bit suspicious because in other conflicts we do not have um that type of explicit video material and i think this is also quite disturbing i mean um there are pictures and videos that shouldn't be allowed to sh to be shown um in in public because they're very disturbing and can cause um also yeah psychological damage especially if you if you're younger but in this conflict they're showing almost everything and it's very disturbing and very emotionally built and then you look into the reactions um as i said earlier with the hashtag free palestine and whatnot i think um this is also kind of an induced uh, situation because what i found and this is something that uh, becomes clearer to me by the day is the more emotional you emotionally you approach something the more it blends you and uh the more it kind of yeah the more it distracts you from from uh, what is actually a good approach or good analytical and, and technical approach to things. It prevents you from seeing clearly what is going on there. And it also creates the false perception of being part of the problem. What do I mean by that? If you're overly emotional and the pictures and videos, the, the footage is um, basically triggering strong emotions um, within you, you're more invested into this whole thing. You want to voice your opinion. You want to put that free Palestine uh, hashtag under every post. And once you do that and, and share this whole thing in your Instagram story, post it on Twitter, on Facebook and uh, everywhere else, you feel like you participated in this conflict and did what you could to prevent it. And it stays there. People are not even protesting anymore at that frequency as um, it was the case back in the 70s, for example, in the Vietnam War. People are just on social media uh, tweeting about how bad the situation in Palestine is. Speakers or uh, heads of states, you know, they go um, into the public and saying, yeah, they, they're condemning Israel for their um, atrocious acts. And that's that. And this seems to be sufficient. In the end, nothing really happens other than all people being invested and having washed off their guilt by posting free Palestine everywhere. And then obviously when I talk to people, the first question that comes up, yeah, but what can I do? I'm here in out of nowhere, um, sitting uh, thousands of, of uh, kilometers away. What can I do? And the answer is simple. If you want to participate in this whole thing, You have two options. Either you go there and fight or you boycott the products of those who are financing the war. Because in the end, we are living in a capitalist, financialized and globalized world. And everything or the, the thing that hurts very capitalized uh, or uh, financialized economies the most is money. So if you're so invested in resolving the conflict, then just boycott American products because they are the one financing uh, this whole operation. I mean, obviously, you can also boycott um, Israeli 
products, that's for sure. But uh, what is the export volume of Israel? I mean, it's it's um, yeah, uh, it's it's not that much. It's almost zero, you know. And but the Americans, you know, they if if they're financing, they're supporting, they're diplomatically uh, doing everything they can to support Israel. If the whole world or all people who are, are sympathizing with Palestinians just boycott the uh, the American products, then I think um, quickly will will come to um, a viable solution because at least something is going to move and and change uh, at least in the short run. This is the way it is, but nobody wants to give up on uh, drinking Pepsi and Coke. Nobody wants to um, yeah, stop uh, buying Nikes and iPhones. Uh, nobody wants to stop using social media, um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, etc. And because of that, uh, and because of that, the conflict will continue. And because nobody is doing something against it, neither the Palestinians are basically building up a good strategy against Israel, nor are the uh, sympathizers of um, Palestine and Palestinians are doing something uh, workable and feasible in that regard. I think in the long run, we will not have Palestine um, anymore. We will, we will not talk about it in uh, 100 years, I'm pretty sure. And that is because the responses have been so yeah, ridiculous, actually, and... Uh, yeah, not not really um, goal oriented in that sense, right? So, just to sum up, just to sum up, we have a very complex history of Israel being able to defend um, the claimed land of of Palestine as as Israel, and they have a right to do so because they were able to defend um, those territories. So they gained every right to to call that Israel and uh, to establish the state there because they were able to defend it obviously with the help of um uh, with the help of the americans but this is what reality shows us right if the arab nations would have done a better job they could have uh, gotten back uh, the lands for the palestinians that is not the case and with each and every year that passes they are consolidating and solidifying their position um what we've all also seen is that uh, the Palestinian response did not change over the last 50 years. While Israel were, uh, was able to uh, develop better strategies, um, not better in the sense that they're morally better, but in the sense that they're uh, tactically better for their purpose, yeah, without judging their purpose or the actions that they are, um, yeah, kind of, kind of uh, uh, doing there, right? But they were able to innovate and develop and um, kind of always go into the direction they want uh, their country to go. And the Palestinians stuck to the guerrilla warfare that they did 40, 50 years ago. Nothing changed. Education's level low. Diplomatic um, alliance building and, and legitimacy building was low. Um, yeah, economic development was low. And because of that, the signs show that Palestine is not going to survive for a long time. So I'm just saying in a hundred years of time, we will not see them uh, or talk about this, uh, this region as, as such. On the other hand, 
again, summarizing uh, the timing of Israel, very suspicious. This current war and conflict was so advantageous to them that it raises the questions whether Hamas is controlled uh, by Israel. It raises the questions whether this was an um, instigated situation to distract from the protests that Israel has gone through earlier, as well as um, heightening or increasing the feeling of or the, the national pride in that sense. Uh, then the social media reactions and, and how people internationally react to this whole thing were uh, ridiculous and the emotions kind of um, distract people from, from clearly thinking about the solution and going about it and basically um, doing the only thing they could and that is to boycott um, Israeli and American products. So finally, what is my stance on this? So it might... Yeah, it might sound uh, that there is, uh, I mean, when we talk about the boycott and, uh, and the suspicious timing of Israel and, and, and whatnot, um, it, it might read or, or kind of sound like I'm advocating um, for any of the actions uh, to taken against Israel, but that is really not the case. Um, my stance is pretty much informed from, uh, yeah, uh, from my nationality as a Turk. And when I'm thinking back about the last couple of years, let's say the last two decades, maybe, and I'm looking at what Israel has, or the, the Israel-Turkey uh, um, relationship, right? I have to say that Israel never, never, I would say, not say never ever, but in recent years, in recent decades, Israel never stood up against Turkey, right? When Turkey went into Syria to end the civil war there and was successful after the third tribe, all three tribes, Israel didn't say anything. When Turks, including Azeri Turks, defended their territorial claims against Armenia, Israel didn't say a thing. In the Cyprus situation, Israel has been quiet. I don't know, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't know the exact statement or stance of Israel towards the Cyprus issue, but from what I know and what I um, researched, Israel has been um, also quiet about this issue, even if they recognize um, yeah, Cyprus as um, as um, something different than Turkish. Um, they were not so loud about it like other countries, for example. So whenever we had international problems and uh, Turkey is at the crossroads um, of, of many conflicts, um, Israel was, was quiet. Um, they didn't stood up for us, but they also didn't stood up against us. And that's perfectly fine, right? So... There's one argument or one reason why I, as a Turk, cannot stand against Israel. That wouldn't be right. I mean, they didn't say anything against us. Why should I say anything against them? You might then say, well, what they are doing is so atrocious that internationally there's the moral obligation to stand up for Palestine. And I, and I understand that argument. And I would agree with you if it wasn't for a very, very interesting situation between Palestine 
and Turkey. That is, whenever, and I enlisted all the occasions of when Israel didn't turn against Turkey, Palestine on those issues turned against us. They didn't recognize uh, Cyprus as Turkish. They stood for the Armenians when Turks defended their territorial claims there. They condemned us when uh, when we went into Syria to end the civil war there. Even the Palestinian flag, um, if you if you are um, familiar with the flag, there's this um, this red. Um, triangle on the left-hand side of the flag. It symbolizes, and they did this today, together with the British back then, the red and Palestinian flag symbolizes or represents the um, fight against the Ottoman Turks back in the day. A time when we delivered them over 400, 500 years of peace and security. They didn't have any problems. 10 years after we left, or 20 years after we left because the Ottoman Empire collapsed, uh, collapsed um, they lost their lands. You know, 500 years, no problem at all. And then they st stood up against us. You know, they were fighting against uh, the Ottomans in order to um, accelerate the, the, the collapse. And 20 years later, they lost their lands practically. But still on their flag, they have this red in order to, to say, yeah, we, we stood up against you. You are the bad Turks. And if even this is not where it ends, the worst thing above all is that the representative of the Palestinians went to the Chinese and openly supported the Chinese, um, the genocide on the Uyghur Turks in China, in East Turkestan. There's, as you know, there's this ongoing genocide in East Turkestan um, and yeah, occupied yeah, province uh, by China, right? And the people there are slaughtered, re-educated, they're in concentration camps, and the Palestinian representative, Abbas, goes to the Chinese in order to obviously to secure diplomatic and economic support, supports the Chinese against Uyghur Turks. And obviously, Uyghur Turks and Turks, we are basically the same. Yeah, they're just living um, in a different part of the world. But they went on to, to support the genocide on the Uyghur Turks. And now people expect from, from, from Turkey to also stand up against Israel because they're, um, yeah, they're also Muslims. And I'm not supporting that. I'm not, I'm definitely not supporting that. You will not hear from me that I stand for Palestine and I will not stand for Palestine unless they revoke all of the sad things and expressly stand on the side of the Turks. Why should I stand up against Israel, which never in the last years stood up against me and said something negative about me or represent yeah, like in a representative uh, manner yeah, for Turkey. They didn't say anything about Turkey. But all of a sudden, I have to stand for uh, Palestine, a nation that is always pushing against, um, is always pushing against uh, Turks. And this is not fair. This is not fair against Israelis. 
And this is not fair against my own people. So I will not say that. I'm not saying that Israel is doing um, the right thing. Definitely not. Of course. What they're doing is atrocious and uh, morally incorrect. Same as the um, terrorist attacks by Hamas. But obviously Israel is um, far more aggressive against Palestinians. And I'm also deeply... Um, yeah, uh, moved and, and, um, deeply, uh, saddened by the situation there, especially for all the children and animals and, and all who cannot really defend themselves, right? That is not the case from a moral standpoint and from, an, um, ethic standpoint. Obviously, I want this whole thing to end and, um, it saddens me to see all these things, but I will not openly express my sympathy for Palestine because that is not my conflict and two sides are clashing whereas one side the victim um, named Palestine was always against me and the let's say aggressor or the stronger side Israel was always neutral towards me and this is what I can only say to all Turks this is obviously up to you but if you're really if you really are a Turk and stand for, um, yeah, our values and, um, yeah, for our people, you should not be standing for Palestine. You should remain neutral in the situation, right? And the arguments for that are quite clear. So this might have been kind of a surprise, uh, surprising ending. Um, to what has been uh, a deep dive into, and this is actually not a deep dive. If we, if we really want to dive, uh, dive deep into this matter, I mean, uh, we would have to, um, talk about for days about it. In the end, it's a very, um, it's a very uh, far reaching conflict. I wouldn't say complex because it's quite straightforward, to be honest. But what we can, um, yeah, take away from this is that we can we only have limited um, possibilities to influence this conflict uh, namely uh, boycotting it if you're pro palestine uh, if you're pro um, israel then you don't need to do anything because in the end as i said 100 years of time they will occupy the whole lands if not if not um, much earlier it will go on like that and i think the next couple of um clashes and in conflicts will be yeah they will be um, also timed in a manner that suits israeli uh, domestic policy uh, politics quite well as it did this time so nothing will change really because those who want change meaning the sympathizers of, of uh, palestine um, they're not changing themselves right israel has changed israel has adopted their strategies and everything were innovators in that in that sense um the palestinians weren't so if we really want to have change then it's best to start uh, with oneself and yeah i just uh, mentioned a couple of of, of uh, possibilities here if you liked this podcast episode, I would be glad if you, if you share it, comment it. You can also text me and, and start a discussion. I'm very curious about what you have to say. Um, but first and foremost, um, like, uh, subscribe. That would be great. Um, I will pick this one up, um, a bit more frequently 
and um, inform you uh, with deep diving analysis on different topics in the future. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot and I hope to um, yeah have you back next time for another episode or another podcast episode, better said, of Acida Magazine. So until then, take care, have a good one and bye. <laughs>